This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. All right, it's time for us to get into the backstories, as they say, the news behind the headlines, the reasons, the rationale, the thinking. And there's quite a few things that have taken place um, over the course of the weekend, not least the ANC's uh, January 812th birthday. And I know many people have been commenting about the president counting as a success the disbursement of social grants and some saying it's one of the crudest marketing strategies of the ANC and it preys on the poverty and vulnerability of people and it's most unkind. We will ask Musam Dunge his views on this particular one but uh, um, let's start off with what is a story that's also made a headline this weekend. And so South Africa's uh, legal team has returned to the country after making their president, uh, presentations to the International Court of Justice in the Netherlands, preparing and presenting a case um, against Israel, uh, saying that the actions of Israel in a war that has now lasted 100 days is tantamount to genocide. And remember, genocide is a very particular definition in terms of international law and the Geneva Conventions. Loosely put, it's the intention to exterminate an entire ethnic group of people. In this case, it would be the allegation that Israel's intentions is not just to deal with Hamas, but it is to wipe out from the face of the earth, annihilate the Palestinian population. And so South Africa believes that is what's going on and hence the mass movement of people out of Gaza. 2.2 million people live in Gaza, 1.9 moved out of the city, 22,000, almost 23,000 deaths of which 5,000 are children. What is the justification for shelling hospitals, schools and refugee camps to the point where Toddlers, children under the age of five, are killed. They are not combatants. So is that about decimating a future generation? I don't know. But those are some of the issues that the ICC had to um, consider in the case that South Africa brought forward. For their part, Israel says war is a dirty business. War is a horrible thing. And Israel has also suffered casualties, hostages, hostages and deaths as a result of the uh, behavior of Hamas. And for all intents and purposes, Hamas has verbally stated that they don't recognize the state of Israel and would like to destroy the state of Israel, which in in the reverse, the, cor- the corollary is that Hamas would not like to see the existence of Israel. And South Africa has failed to prove that in retaliation, Israel is not acting in self-defense, but is out to decimate the Palestinian population. So those are the things that were taking place at the ICJ, and we await to see whether South Africa has sufficiently proven their case. And then Germany, in the midst of the case, decided to nail their colors to the mast, as they say, and issued a statement in support of the Israeli position in the case. And then Namibia entered the fray and said the audacity of Germany to actually have a say on what constitutes a genocide and what doesn't. 
not least what happened inside Germany uh, under the leadership of Adolf Hitler, but also 1904 to 1908 when Germany was an occupying power in Southwest Africa, today known as Namibia, and the uh, extermination of more than 65,000 Herero and 10,000 Nama people. And it's all gotten very, very uncomfortable. Musa Mdunge, welcome. Thank you so much for having me and good morning to your listeners too. Thank you for coming. And of course, you're joining us uh, from the University of Dundee in the UK. You're a political analyst, but also a seminal teacher. Congratulations uh, you. to you, because I remember when you were a PhD candidate. So this is good news. OK, so Namibia uh, has now weighed in on the ICG case, but really to condemn Germany coming in to support the Israeli case at the ICG. ICJ. Indeed, you know, I mean, this was always going to be a very interesting case that if you think about how it almost feels like a global north versus global south, uh, you know, when you think of this case with many countries of the global south rallying behind South Africa and its decision to take Israel to the ICJ. And so it's unsurprising that Namibia would respond to Germany, given the history between these two countries, but also given Germany's own history in terms of the Holocaust during World War II. And so what Namibia is trying to do is to shine a light on Western hypocrisy in terms of foreign policy. And, and if we look at what has happened in the past five years, from the Global South perspective, there's certainly been a pushback, uh, you know, against Western hypocrisy. If we think even back to, you know, the Iraq invasion, for example, you know, and how, you know, the world has had to focus on Ukraine and African countries have said, but what about the wars that are happening in Africa? Mm. So it is good to see our neighbors standing in solidarity with us on such an important case. And, and it is kudos to South Africa for really reigniting you know, that, that moral stance within its foreign policy and pushing, right. you know, for, for, for the rights of the Palestinian people to exist. Okay. And so what you're saying is the world is demonstrating that some lives matter more than other lives. And um, when we place preeminence, and I want to be careful, on the losses and the traumas and the tragedy suffered by uh, citizens of Israel um, and not equating the value of the lives in uh, Gaza, um, that's where we're starting to see this hypocrisy because how does the life of an Israeli teenager uh, be seen to be worth more than the life of a child, a baby in Gaza, for instance? Indeed, Both, indeed. Both families have been wronged. Both families have been wronged, and there is a need for the nations of the world to really push for this two-state solution. It's got to come back on the table. But unfortunately, particularly the United States has been a big, a big hindrance towards that two-state solution, particularly mm. when we think if it was one thing for the Republicans to be very pro-Israel and to be, uh, you know, very much, uh, you know, mm. against or very, you know, uh, against the, the, the two-state solution, the Democrats have also joined that gravy train in as much as those that in the left of the party, there's a stronger push to support Palestine. But it's interesting okay. when we look at the political elite, the support still skews towards Israel. And what we need is fairness to say all lives matter and we need to work towards peace and a resolution where both of these people can find expression.
okay. in human existence. So enter legalese here. So I think the moral arguments for many people are pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward yes. that uh, Israel's or the, the actions of the Israeli Defense Force have been indiscriminate uh, and flagrant violations of international law. But it's the proving genocide that South yes. Africa needs to be needs to convince the ICJ about and many legal experts have said this is not where South Africa where the strength of South Africa's argument came in an 84 page dossier it provided anecdotal media research NGO accounts of the atrocities but it still cannot draw a link between the command given by uh, the Prime Minister of Israel the Likud party to the IDF to exterminate a people. And that is fundamentally what needs to be proven in terms of a prima facie case. Indeed, indeed. That, that is what needs to be proven. And it's going to be very difficult for South Africa to prove that though, yes, they may have from the media, you know, of course, sound bites from, you know, generals and ministers, even from Benjamin Netanyahu. But unfortunately, it's about looking at whether there is a direct command, a direct relation between statements and how have those statements truly influenced, you know, uh, military action and strategy on the ground. But I think for South Africa, perhaps the, the, the goal is perhaps uh, different here. You know, they always knew that it would be a tough case to prove genocide. But what particularly is of interest is if they can get a, a you know, a, a, a resolution from the court that at least pushes Israel to consider or change its tactic in terms of its approach, mm. in terms of this war. Because even among the West, there is a loss of support that is starting to grow, mm. and there is doubts about how Israel has approached, uh, you know, you know, right. its military strategy in that country. And even from its own people, they are asking the questions, but does this work in terms of getting back right. the hostages? So that will still be a win for South Africa if they can get some right. sort of resolution from the court that pushes Israel to at least consider or move or gravitate the West to push more pressure on Israel to change tactic. And I think for South okay. Africa, that perhaps is the long game that they are playing. Okay, and many experts have said so. And when you sort of hear the utterances more measured from the Minister of Justice in South Africa, you get a sense that a win for them would be an interim order that forces a ceasefire uh, and then a more targeted uh, focus on Hamas and not just a blanket uh, attack on the civilian population. That would be a huge win for humanity. Okay, let's turn our attention to back home and... Uh, Dr. Nkosa Zanazamini Zuma set to retire from Parliament after the elections. I mean, I think it's expected. It should be expected. She turned 75 in February, so well past the mandatory retirement age. And she's accomplished so much in her career. What's left for her to do? Well, you know, you know, Nkosa Zanazamini Zuma is really, uh, if you think about it, an institution in the body politic of South Africa. You know, I mean, this is a person who moved from being minister, you know, of health care. She went to, to the foreign office, you know, the foreign department, and had a huge role in truly shaping South Africa's foreign policy and how mm-hmm. it exerts itself on the global stage. If we think mm-hmm. about these ideas of African renaissance, mm-hmm. yes, as much as we associate them with, you know, former President Tabundeki, she was truly, 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 truly at the center 
of pushing, uh, you know, for, for African renaissance, African solidarity, but also South-South cooperation. Mm-hmm. She was key in bringing together the IPSA uh, uh, tri, mm-hmm. you know, tripartite alliance mm-hmm. between Brazil, South Africa and India. And in many ways, that is where we saw the growth in South-South cooperation from a more formalized place yeah. when we look at what happened in terms of, of, of the BRICS Oops. formation. Yeah. You know, and of course, we cannot forget the role she played on the African Union, you know, as the AU commissioner. Mm-hmm. And we know, you know, the controversy of that move with uh, South Africa as the big brother in Africa mm-hmm. pushing uh, and uh, pushing uh, other African countries to support mm-hmm. its candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is a leader who is truly led who has truly been, uh, you know, a pioneer within the ANC. And unfortunate that, you know, she was unsuccessful uh, in, in her campaigns to be president. Uh, and there are lessons that need to be taken there. But what I hope is that her career will push more women into the forefront of politics in shaping decisions right. for our world. Because we know where, we, where, we, where women lead, you know, change truly happens. Absolutely. And, 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 and and that is what we need. We need more leaders such as her mm. taking up a uh, position in our politics. Listen, across Africa, she's highly, highly respected. She was seen as being very instrumental in formalizing uh, processes and professionalizing how the African Union Commission works. I mean, people really, really uh, stand to attention when you mention her name or when you say you're from South Africa, despite that hegemonic position South Africa played. But could there have been something to push her? I mean, 75, I think we have to accept, is more than the right time to uh, exit the stage. But could she have stretched it to 76, 77, 78, were it not for her defying Lutuli House? Well, she could have. I mean, she definitely could have. I mean, she would have been in power, right? Let's assume that uh, 2017 went her way. You know, we'd still be speaking of a president in Kosovo, I mean, right now. Uh, unfortunately, um, it, 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 it remains to be seen if whether she backed the wrong horse. I mean, this is somebody whose who, who's, um, claim to the top seat really starts in 2007. Remember that both the Mbeki camp and the Zuma camp were vying for her to lead for different positions. And at mm-hmm. the end, she chose the Mbeki side and actually lost, funny mm-hmm. enough. And in this time around, where she favored Jacob Zuma, she also lost. And unfortunately, what will be tagged to her legacy is that perhaps she was a proxy candidate for Jacob Zuma and was not standing in her own right as a political figure in the country. And unfortunately, that will be a, a, a stain in her legacy. But when we think of the work she did in home affairs, when she entered, there was truly a transformation in that department mm-hmm. that we are reaping the benefits of today. We know mm-hmm. the mess that home affairs was, yeah. you know, in the early years of our democratic dispensation. And she was very critical in turning right. that around. What I hope is that we don't lose that bureaucratic and technical brilliance that she brings. You know, and if the ANC is smart, they will keep her within the orbit of power and influence. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps, Lerato, if, 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 if I want to be naughty for a second, we may make the argument that her retirement currently could pe- perhaps be well be associated with the movement within the ANC, but also the formation of the MK party. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, there's always been this question about the MK party is who will be their presidential candidate? 
you know, obviously Zuma can't stand. And if you think about it, who else has wow. both from a moral perspective, from a political perspective in terms of reputation, has the clout to stand as the perfect candidate? So we might just see a rerun of 2017, but this time we move from ANC conference to the national election. Wow. But hey, Musa, I not- never <laughs> even considered that. I just thought, you know what? A good dancer knew when to leave the stage. But we should also be very careful constantly um, reiterating these views of her being a proxy for one or other male leader because she stands in her own right as a very competent and talented woman with a great legacy uh, as she exits uh, parliamentary politics for the ANC. So that's a, that's a neater way to say it. Parliamentary politics, Busisuam Kwebani, she wants her pension plus interest. And this is intriguing for me because the impeached public protector may have lost her benefits, but very quickly went and reinvented herself as an EFF MP, earning a salary as an opposition uh, uh, MP and backbencher. So is she entitled to her pension and its interest when one she was impeached and two she got another job well you know the the, the you look at the legal the legal rules they, they stand and they are very clear the law is very clear on this she was dismissed you know a vote of impeachment you know she didn't see the end of her uh, term in office unlike tulima donzella uh, you know and her, her gripe as well is the fact that about four hundred and seventy thousand rand of that would be removed, you know. And, and so here's a person who is fighting political battles, who's trying to fight the new, uh, you know, incumbent uh, public protector. And we need to see this for what it is. It's politicking at its highest and grandest form. Uh, and, and again, a grandstanding given the elections that we're about to go to. So she continues to be a headache for the ANC, a headache for Selva Maposa. And it will, time will tell whether she will be a, an effective political operator uh, in terms of her new role in the EFF. Mm. But uh, this is very clear, uh, you know, what the law is. And, and we must see this for what it is, right. simply that it is a political grandstanding at the highest form. Mosa, we've got a minute and a half before the headlines. So ANC's 112th birthday the president gave his speech. The headline reads, um, he lords the ANC games, but rushes through the solutions. And many of our listeners have said, if a gain is considered a social grants and social welfare, then my goodness, we have to uh, get a new dictionary definition for the word gains, because we cannot be celebrating social grants as a gain. Yes, indeed. You know, like on the one hand, what, 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 what we can say of the ANC is definitely from a, a place of Ubuntu. You know, our welfare system has been very critical and very important in at least, you know, uh, buffering our people from the full effects of poverty. But it is not enough. You know, but if you think of what South Africa does in terms of the state and the state's involvement in the lives of people, we've got to celebrate that that from the South African government and what they've been able to do. But again, why is it like that? 
it is because when we look at the economy, it is not growing. It isn't producing the jobs that we require. And there's a mismatch between the skills that the country has and the structure and the demands that the country has. And, And unfortunately, while the ANC in the first, say, 15 years of democratic South Africa was very effective in growing the economy, of course, there were factors like good commodity prices at the time, you know, but there was a stable fiscal policy under President Mbeki. Unfortunately, those gains are no longer there. What happened to the budget surplus we had when the 2008 recession happened that was able to insulate us from that recession, but was also able to support a stimulus in the economy for the growth that we saw after, during and after the 2010 World Cup. So all those gains are gone. You have high levels of unemployment. For countries such as South Africa, this is really an indictment on the ANC. And, it, and if, if I were advising them and, they, and being their political strategist, I would say, come clean, speak the truth, own your losses, own your victories, be honest with the South African public, and give us a plan of what you're going to do to fix the country. Give us a vision. What is the strategy? What is the plan? It's not about slogans anymore. The time for slogans is over. We've got to fix this country. South Africa remains a critical country for Africa, for the global south, for the world. We dare not fail our people. And of course, TT spoke to uh, Lukona Mungoni this morning and he said, this was birthday party. They're still going to have a manifesto launch in KZN. Maybe that's where they'll unveil a plan. Uh, Musa Mdunge, thank you so much for your time. He's a seminal teacher at the University of Dundee. Time for the news. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.